Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 531 on Tuesday, the 27th of June, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where Fiat will continue to paint their cars in colours, we'll be watching one company eat itself whilst getting sued by a former employee. In new new car news, we check the company badge on one car very carefully. And the list of the week may feature cars that are small, but they are mighty. First, though, we have three bits of follow-up, and I will start with the dieselgate one. And this is the news that a German court has ruled that any vehicle that has a device fitted that allows it, under the regulations and the permitted at the time, to adjust its emissions due to environmental conditions such as altitude or temperature and things like that, then the car manufacturers of said cars owe their customers money. This is bad, everyone. This is really bad, because this is a German court, the German federal court, saying that the rules by which every car maker was following mm. were wrong. It's just nuts. It's, it's, you know, there were certain things were allowed, weren't classed as defeat devices. They were legal under the rules at the time. And this seems to be allowing ambulance-chasing lawyers for people to start up class actions, all these kind of things. Yep. It's saying here that companies could owe owners between 5 and 15% of the purchase price of their vehicle. This is really bad. And it's, it's bad because it, it's contradicting the regulations that were permitted at the time. Yep. And it's lawyers and the court saying, actually, these people didn't know what they were talking about. That is a major, major issue. I have a funny feeling that this is going to go higher than this. Well, yeah. I think it's going to have to go to the various European court, mm -hmm. which then is going to be a challenge because it was under the European rules that everyone was following that allowed these devices. I don't think the end of it. I understand it's the German federal court. I just, I, it can't be the end of it because it, it, it contradicts what was actually allowed. Yeah, this ruling is based on the fact that the European Court of Justice said that owners are owed compensation where the damage to plaintiffs was caused by negligence. But this isn't negligence. Even in case, it, but they are arguing that the uh, car manufacturers have been negligent. This is what they're trying to say. What I'll be interested to see is if the car manufacturers actually sue the regulators because mm -hmm. they were following the rules. Yeah. But also, this is different from what we've reported previously. Like we said in Austria, that market successfully claimed against Volkswagen because the car never ran or very rarely ran <laughs> outside the parameter within the permitted criteria because Austria mm. is too high and goes too cold. Mm. The, the argument was, well, you are selling us equipment that is not fit for purpose, if that's the case. And that's yes. how they did that one. This is not saying that. This is saying any car fitted with this, which is all of them, you can claim against. There's going to be a lot of snakes eating tails this, this week, and I think that this is the first of them, to be honest. Well, do you want to take us to the second one? Uh, next one round. It's this chap we've talked about occasionally called Carlos Ghosn. He was a very senior person at Nissan and at Renault and at the old Cuddly Alliance. <laughs> we all know how that went, I think. Ultimately, if you're too successful, you will get shot down. He has now filed a $1 billion 
<laughs> uh, lawsuit against Nissan. As this Haggerty article says, Carlos Ghosn, possibly the only former auto tycoon to escape the law by being smuggled out of a country in musical instrument case, has filed that $1 billion lawsuit against Nissan and about a dozen individuals, two other companies as well. Some of the individuals are in the, the Japanese government being accused of collusion there to basically lock him up in prison for months on end. Yep. Uh, just, I mean, the whole thing's a crazy story. It will come out in the wash eventually. But yes, the lawsuit is due to be hurled in September in Lebanon, so I'm sure it will It will surface again. Yep. I'm going to take us to the final bit of follow-up, and this is the news that British Vault's owners, who haven't actually paid for it yet, have been raided by Australian tax police. This is apparently all a misunderstanding, and everybody is cooperating wonderfully, according to spokespeople for the Scale Facilitation, which is the company in Australia, but they've been under investigation for a good couple of months now, and over the weekend they were raided. Can't make this up with this British Vault. British Vault is cursed. Yeah, I was about to say, you were saying it was cursed beforehand. Uh, Yeah, it really is. Uh, Obviously, it's a tax investigation, and uh, the Australian entrepreneur David Collard, who owns uh, or runs Scale Facilitation and Sunitex, which is its sister company, is a former partner of PwC. Uh, one of the big accounting firms. So uh, let's just see how that goes down, shall we? Yeah. There will be links in the show notes, by the way, to all those articles for all those follow-up as ever. Um, And included in the one about British Vault, there is a tweet from Peter Campbell, which adds a little bit of context to all that as well. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move into the news next. And this story is from Motoring Research, where EU car firms are continuing to warn of a £3.7 billion hit if a no-deal on a post-Brexit EV trade isn't worked out. This is all about the ongoing story, the ongoing trials of the tariffs uh, between the UK and the EU about uh, rules of origin compliance, mm-hmm. about the batteries. This really needs sorted out as everybody's moving to EVs and as the batteries are such a large uh, and expensive component that can only be built in certain places, uh, this is causing a lot of heartache. I think the story here hasn't actually changed since 2015, 2016, uh, when people first started warning that this would be the impact of a no-deal Brexit or a minimal deal or whatever the heck form of deal we've allegedly got. But what adds on top of it is that the the European car makers are telling the EU, we've got a problem in our own countries because the rules state that all battery parts and some battery mm. materials to be produced either in the EU or UK to qualify. Yeah. At the minute, nobody's making that volume of battery except for maybe the Sunderland plant? Uh, possibly, yes. I don't know. But other than that, you will have seen in the news, every country is scrambling to say, oh, we're perfect for a battery plant. And mm. France is, you know, basically made the Northeast one giant factory. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one of my colleagues was was commenting on uh, on Mr. Musk's visit to Paris last week. Yeah, and the the French government's uh, pretty blatant attempts to bend over backwards and get out the old KY. Yeah, to to try and say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. build a build a battery plant, build a build an EV facility here. Yeah, this is pan EU. I mean, I maybe narrowed that down to the UK. No, because there's obviously the massive implications for the UK because we still haven't got that revised 
deal sorted mm-hmm. that um, anything that comes from the UK, what's going to happen to it, etc. as well. Uh, because yes. that's, that is looming and getting ever closer because the, the um, rules of origin will impact on that too. Yes, absolutely. More Nissan, and this time it falls with you. It does. Not content with being sued by their former CEO, they now have decided to kick out their chief operating officer, Ashwani Gupta, who was apparently steadying the ship, uh, turning them financially viable again, and uh, also beginning to increase their market share once again after what has been, should we be polite and say, turbulent few years. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of intrigue about this because it was a surprise move, and no one saw this coming outside the company. And also there's varying rumours as to why he's being kicked out. He was someone who benefited hugely from getting rid of gold. Yes, but there wasn't in, in all the stuff I've read, he wasn't involved in the actual getting rid of, or even allegedly. Right. But as you say, he has capitalised on the uncertainty of those mm. times and found himself basically number two in Nissan, and now they've decided to kick him out. Yeah. Well, there were some mutterings that he was very much counter the let's have stronger ties with Renault plan. Yes. And some of the stuff we covered a few weeks ago, the IP sharing, that kind of stuff. Is it possible that 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 has done for him? Because two of the people who are seen as the front runners to replace him are uh, a chap called Guillaume Cartier, who, according to Asia Times, chairs the management committee running Nissan's business in Europe, India, the Middle East, Africa, and Oceania. And uh, Jeremy Papin, president of Nissan North America Incorporated and chair of the management committee for the Americas region. So these are people coming in from outside of Japan uh, to be number two. I don't know. Okartier, by the way, is believed to be the top choice. Um, I don't know if I'd want to be a non-Japanese person working near the top of Nissan for the next few years. No. I think that would be a brave move. Yes. But you'll notice both of these people, names, uh, I imagine... Mr. Papa is, if he's North American, he's probably Quebecois. And so speaks French. Uh, if you're called Guillaume Cartier, the chances are you do speak French. I would imagine that, that they're far more pro, a little more alliance with Renault and the plans as, as they've already been shared. Yeah. Yeah. You, you may say that, but no one else could possibly comment, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yes. Well, quite. quite. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's, there's a lot of supposition in what I've just said, and that is purely opinion. Yes, it's amazing coincidences that have cropped up. Yes, yes, quite. And just highlighting those coincidences rather than anything else. Do you want to jet us off onto the next story? Um, yes, but not from Heathrow if I've got an EV. Lots of uh, the major airports around the UK are trying to increase the ability and uh, facilitation of, of EV charging. Even, you know, Glasgow and Edinburgh have. Uh, well, Edinburgh has a charge place Scotland facility. No doubt they still charge you 20 quid before you can get near it, but that's Edinburgh Airport for you. Glasgow uh, has an electric charging forecourt. Gatwick is just about to open the Gatwick electric forecourt. Luton has a number of charges in Terminal 1 car park. Heathrow, however, seems to have closed all its pod point charges in its short-term parking. And nobody can answer why. Or is answering why. Is answering why. Pod point says, I need to speak to Heathrow about that one. And Heathrow is saying, 
We're developing plans to meet the growing demand, which seems to be by closing stuff. Yes. It is thought that it's because there was a contract between Podpoint and Heathrow, which expired, and Heathrow retains the units because it was put in place quite a long time ago, and that was just the way it was done back then. Now that the contract has ended, Podpoint have no obligation or ability to maintain the charges, and Heathrow hasn't renewed it with anyone, possibly because people have changed, priorities have changed, etc. Or it just got missed, to be perfectly honest. Let's let's be fair about how big companies work. It probably just got missed yeah. at some point. Right at the minute, there ain't nothing at Heathrow short-term parking if you want to, to charge an EV. No. There will also be a link to a tweet from Tim uh, Oldland, friend of the show, where he puts some context onto what possibly has happened in the background here. Uh, and it's very interesting. And it also brings to the front yet again of people rushing to fix an issue without thinking them through. Yeah. So as I said, it was put in place in the early days. Tim obviously used to do a lot of work with Podpoint uh, as well. He has knowledge as opposed to supposition from person on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, don't expect me to repeat that too often, Tim. <laughs> I am going to take us to Devon and Cornwall. And this is the news that the council will be installing bi-directional speed cameras in certain locations where speeding is a known issue, this will mean that it doesn't matter which way you're going, that section of road is obviously has what has been indicated as problems. Uh, they'll be able to, with one installation, catch both directions of travel. Uh, it's replacing Gatso cameras uh, on Exeter Road in Exmouth and the A385 Ashburton Road in Totnes. New cameras being erected on the A390 Drake Walls and St Anne's Chapel near Gunness Lake in Cornwall. They're all due to go live in the next few days. Uh, and that was this, this is a story posted five days ago. The cameras are on sort of yellow stripy poles for maximum visibility, uh, and they can film in both directions simultaneously. Just don't speed. Well, don't speed is the first thing. Yeah, don't speed. Do you want to take us to what is becoming a recurring theme of uh, digitalized exclusivity? It is, yes. Yeah, we're talking about parking meters again, everyone, and ticket machines. There's been a, I don't know if it's been a, if this was driven by a freedom of information request, uh, but it's on the BBC News website uh, by Becky Morton, uh, and saying that more than 20 councils across England are removing pay and display parking machines and asking people to pay using an app. Again, uh, eight councils in London uh, have already removed all of their machines, while 14 have removed some of them. Yeah, there's just the highlight, same kind of thing that we highlighted the other week. If you have a smartphone, if you're not uh, a confident, if you're not someone who's confident paying online, uh, and I'm keen to point out that that's a difference between confident actually looking stuff up and using using browser and stuff on your phone or on your tablet or whatever it seems to be very different as, as having elderly parents that's very different from being happy to put in a card number and go through the whole thing about buying stuff yeah uh, online partly because people are nervous they're going to get scammed all these kind of fun things i mean i know that even three thousand miles away i still get calls about this kind of thing from my mom and this this falls into that. She's like, oh, I can't possibly use a you know, my phone to do that. Which app do I need? How many apps do I need? How do I know which is the right one? All that kind of stuff. 
this is a problem and it's going to continue to be a problem. I've seen an explanation of why, but partly why they're doing this, um, which aligns with exactly the last article that we were talking about, the last news item about things have run their course in their current makeup and to replace them is a huge investment or or to maintain them as the equilibrium is a huge investment. So it is easier, quicker, cheaper for them to rip them out and install a new modern thing. But then in another decade, you come across the same problem because nobody's thinking longer term, which is what I was talking about before. In this case, it's removal of 3G networks and and stuff like that. So it's having to be ahead of that and then replacing the parking machines with your parking machines. You would think, oh, I don't know, get an idea well, you just replace the module, wouldn't you? But hey. In another decade, there'll be a similar news story. Exactly. Exactly. That's because we'll all, it'll be impossible to sort of pay with blinks via our augmented reality implants or something. Mm-hmm. On that cheery news, I'm going to take us to the next item then before I get cross. <laughs> the, the, there's, no, there's no Ledge of Fury article this week, everyone. No, so it's, I'm just keeping him, keeping him sort of mildly irritated throughout the whole show he doesn't uh, want to me to go off the boil that's i don't really want you to get on the boil to be honest this is the news that aston martin has reached an agreement with lucid the uh, us ev company so that lucid will provide the electric motors and battery tech for a 3.7 percent stake in the company so that Aston Martin can now make uh, and push forward on their aim to make luxury fantastic sporty whatever they're pretending to be this week i can't remember if it's i can't remember either luxury or if it's sporty or what but sporty luxury evs that was smooth i know it's my middle name i think i think lucid is a good partnership here obviously people yeah. are, are commenting saudi investment fund invests in both aston martin and in lucid uh i think you could say that about almost anything basically yes basically either geely has a hand in every single automotive firm or the saudi investment fund has a hand in almost every automotive firm and in many cases both of them do i think it's spread betting on both on both uh, on both parts there seems like a good match seems like a good thing i don't you know nobody's going oh this is ridiculous in any way shape or form no the analyst reaction is very good and aston martin's price sh- um, share price even went up yesterday but interestingly, this does replace um, on, again, we're going to have a Peter Campbell thread or tweet linked in the show notes. And he says it replaces the second tranche of Mercedes tech deal. Mm. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. Yes, it is actually. Yes, that is. I wonder if Mercedes are going to gently and quietly pull out some of the, the stuff and just have Fasten as a customer. I don't know. I'm saying that based yeah. on your last couple of statements, just thinking. But Yeah, it's good for Aston. It's good for mm. Lucid. Uh, and uh, I think probably it just allows them to Aston to get on with it now. Yes, I hope so. There's been a lot of change in Aston, and it seems positive change as well. Anyway, guilt minute, quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very much indeed, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Mm -hmm. New new car news. 
Yes, our first one is a new seven-seat Volkswagen called the Tehran, uh, which is a little bit of a disappointment, really, because if you've got a car called a Tehran, you kind of hope it's going to be a combination of a Veyron and a Taycan, and it isn't really. It's going to be a, a replacement, a seven-seat SUV Whoa. Uh, replacement for the outgoing Tiguan Allspace, which was the slightly bigger seven-seat Tiguan. The current first-generation Tehran is sold only in China. The second-generation is going to be a far more global vehicle. Yep. Not just sold in China, but also sold in Europe uh, and uh, North America as well. A rakish five-seat liftback variant is also set to be sold in North America and China. I thought they were um, pairing back. I thought they were as well, but it seems not. Fill all the segments, German automotive manufacturers, all of the segments. Okay. I don't really understand why that's going to be so much different from something like the Atlas Coupe version or the Atlas and the stuff that you get over over here in the US. It's going to be slightly smaller, but essentially the same thing. Well, the Atlas must be close to end of life by the time this comes in. You would think so. So maybe it'll, it'll replace that as well. But the Atlas shares its underpinnings with the Q8. Oh, right, okay. mm, so maybe. it's that kind of size and to be honest there's not a lot of difference in looks between them one of them just says i couldn't afford the audi which one but i'm going to drive just as badly anyway i think that we're going to see more and more of this from volkswagen particularly the way that they were discussing things recently or their ceo has been happily discussing a lot of things recently that they need to make more globalized vehicles for economies of scale, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, it's just worth mentioning that uh, head of engineering for Volkswagen's mid to full size models is called Karl Heinz Hell. Uh, make of that what you will. Can't help our names, Alan. We can't help our names. Well, speaking of not being able to help our names, Andrew, do you want to talk about the BYD Delphin? Yes. Uh, those who like a silly name on a car, you will be happy to know that. The Chinese EV company, BYD, are bringing their Dolphin across here <laughs> towards the end of the year. Uh, you just made it sound like a s*** <laughs> toy. <laughs> uh, prices would start from £25,490 for the 211-mile range active, um, which offers 93-brake horsepower. And then they'll have a, a mid-range version called the Boost, which is 178 brake horsepower, which is quite a jump. Hmm. But that drops the range to 188 miles, so I'm not sure why you want that one. Uh, and then the comfort and range-topping design cars gain the larger 60.4 kilowatt per hour battery with 265 mile ranges and 201 and two, uh, 201 bhp. 0-62 speed is 7 seconds, so it's not outrageously quick for those, those no. last two on the bigger battery. It's a competitor to the Peugeot E208 to give you an idea of, of size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere between well. that and the, and, yeah, somewhere between that and the Volkswagen ID3. I don't even know if it said Dolphin on it, to be perfectly honest. It does say build your dreams across the back. Uh, there's one tiny badge on the, on the boot, but I, I can't see what that actually says. The thing is that there's a number of big dealer groups have signed up with BYD, uh, Arnold Clark, Pendragon, Lookers, LSH, Auto. And uh, don't forget that whilst we're chuckling at Dolphin, 
don't forget that many of the big established Japanese brands started off with cars named things like the Crown, the Cherry, the Sunny, all of these kind of things, uh, which are suitably ludicrous as well. Chuckle all we want, really, and make silly jokes, but... At least it's at least it makes sense. I mean, you look at the Toyota's electric naming policies quite out there. I know. Well, they're named a little bit like Elon Musk names his kids, aren't they? Yes. Uh, so, yes, they are just... By, by an attempt, you know, you can be different by calling it a BZ4, or you can call it a dolphin. Uh, and one of them people are more likely to remember. Yeah. But let's rejoice at a sub £32,000 EV that looks like more people can afford to make the transfer mm-hmm. into uh, EV ownership. And it's worth saying it's not fugly either. It is no. quite. A, it's not exactly going to stand stand out loads, but it's it's a perfectly respectable looking vehicle. Yeah, inside and out. Yeah. Talking of new looks, though. Talking of new looks, yeah. What would happen if uh, Toyota Igo X and a new Toyota Prius uh, had a baby? Uh, the chances are that it would look very much like the uh, new uh, second generation CHR, which has just been revealed to us. It's. I think it's a good-looking car. I mean, you were saying, Andrew, that the photos in the linked auto car story are possibly the least flattering ones you've seen of it. I'm really not a fan of how it looks in this with the gold or light bronzy metallic and then um, going into a black sort of around the boot area or the final mm. rear quarter around the back. But I've seen pictures where it's a, a more typical colour that we see, like silver, and I think it does look much more striking and a lot better than that, than it does in these uh, these released photos here in this Autocar article. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I, I think from the looks of it, it's whilst it it is a quite a different look, I think it's still an evolution on the mm-hmm. CHR. It's rather it's than, still suitably different. Yeah, uh, you've you've got that smaller, shall we say, smaller rear passenger windows. Uh, on either side with the large rear pillar behind it. The weird the weird one about the two-tone on this is it doesn't actually follow things like the door line. So the door actually goes to the rear wheel arch as opposed to having a three-inch gap away from it, which is what the, the sort of second colour is, it's, which is the visual appearance the second colour gives mm. uh, on there. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it's the same challenge i think that we had with recommending the previous generation chr which is how good is visibility at the back if you've got kids yeah uh, that's that is that is the one the thing to watch with with this but you know power wise it's got the same two liter plug-in hybrid um as well as two liter and 1.8 liter parallel hybrids as are available on the the new prius and let's not forget that the this model is the reason that the prius isn't coming to the UK. Yes. Because they've sold so many. Yeah, and more people would be choose to buy this anyway. Yeah. And and people who are buying Prius for work stuff tend to be buying a Corolla instead. So it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of shared look between this and the, the new Prius. So it's, it's I, I think it's probably going to be a pretty good uh, a pretty good replacement to be honest. Yeah. I'm going to take us to Fantasyland this time and this is the Ahira um which is a 497 mile Porsche Taycan rival saloon, apparently, which will be a four door luxury GT. I'm not sure we'll hear it this again. 
but I mean, it looks, it looks like about a decade and a half ago, someone saying, please draw me a car of the future. It's, it's very smooth in how it has been put together. It is not, it, someone has not been let loose with all the creases machine. Yes, the, the quote uh, in this in the Autocar article linked in the show notes is, the sedan is the antithesis to Baroque design culture. That means it's kind of bland and smooth. Uh, it looks like something I would doodle in the corner of meeting notes. There we yep. go. I, I don't think that's necessarily a compliment. <laughs> no, but with some car companies, it's not a bad thing either. <laughs> well, this is true. So, you know, it, it's not offensive. It's not overly swoopy or anything. It's it's we'll never hear about it if we hear about it again i will be i will be quite surprised uh, if we've managed to convince you to take more of a look at this vehicle now with our glowing report the saloon will start at a roughly 160,000 euros which is 20,000 less than the suv will start at i would like to point out that the saloon's also better looking than the suv which has something it's very odd klingonish going on at the front yeah like yeah, the like, SUV is not attractive. No, it's not a no. So saloon's a bit dull. The SUV is 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 ugly. Anyway, do you want to take us to Peugeot? I mean, sorry, Renault. Now, uh, you mean uh, yes, the yes, the Renault Rafale. It's a yes, named after a <laughs> named after the French fighter jet. This uh, bears as much resemblance to a fighter jet as. Well, as as much of the current Peugeot lineup, to be perfectly honest, basically Renault. How do we say this? So it's a D-segment flagship vehicle, a powerful hybrid coupe SUV that promises to be a vehicle born and bred for driving pleasure. Uh, this driving pleasure will come uh, to begin with as a 197 brake horsepower front-wheel drive hybrid, but also be a 295 horsepower four-wheel drive version on the way. The trouble here is that basically, how do I say this in a way that's not going to get us sued, Andrew? The similarities between this and much of the current equivalent Peugeot lineup are striking. Quite striking and hard to miss. Yes. Now, at this point, and I'm sure it's a complete coincidence, the same designer, the man credited with this, uh, the design of this, is also the man credited with much of the current Peugeot lineup. Mm. Yeah. Again, like like we were saying earlier in the show, there is an astonishing number of coincidences that we yes. are merely pointing out. Other than that, it's another big coupe SUV thing with a small engine and a hybrid motor. I find it about as interesting as my fridge freezer. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, it's, it's perfectly attractive but actually the byd dolphin is more interesting yeah to me than this but speaking of fridge freezers andrew <laughs> yes this is just pathetic i'm sorry a uk ev startup called arc have launched the micro car apparently because it's not a car i don't think it's not a bloody car it's a pram the zero which will cost merely five thousand nine hundred ninety five pounds for you to tootle around for you, a friend, and a dog to tootle around at up to 28 miles an hour for up to 50 miles with the uh, three horsepower, 2.2 kilowatt battery vehicle. Well, it, it's aiming at the AMI, 
except for it's failing miserably because it's not funky or fun. It's a Reva G Wiz. That's how bad yeah. it is. Yeah. The so first thing that comes to mind to, with me is a G Wiz. The G Wiz itself, not by being neither fun nor funky nor in any way pleasant, it knocked back uh, EV adoption in the UK by at least five years, probably as much as a decade, by just being a joke. This, I'm afraid, is just being a joke. Okay. But the AMI at least has uh, funky, different. It has some pizzazz uh, to it, which makes it different and interesting. This just isn't. just doesn't even have that history. It, well, it just looks cheap. This doesn't solve any problems to do with transporting yourself around London, because as with the AMI, it's too big to be small enough to nip in and out of traffic. So you're still just mm-hmm. going to sit in the normal lane of traffic, but you're in this diddy little ugly thing. The speed doesn't matter because around London you can't go more than 28 mile an hour anyway, so you know that's irrelevant. But do you want to know what really worries me now about this company? Is it this second, second from the end paragraph? Uh, well, just a bit above that, they, they, there is, mm-hmm. they're going to launch an A-segment car, but have not revealed any further information. And then yeah. they, as it's quoted here in the Electride uh, article, sensationally announces that it will offer autonomous ride-hailing services in London starting next year with, again, little further information. Yeah, vaporware. Yeah, I'm not even I, I, sure that that's any more than a rendering at the top as well. By the yeah, way. I get the feeling that this is the old, well, we've seen the CEO of a US EV company make lots of bold claims. That worked. Why don't we try that? Really? Okay. That's what I. That's the feeling I now have from this, and I have no confidence at all that what there's that one there's going to be an A segment car, B there's anything autonomous going to be allowed on the roads. Let's go on to better things. Take us to the points of interest. The first points of interest, of course, as usual, is the lunchtime read. This week's lunchtime read is, is quite short, but it's it's a sort of tweet thread, a very quick one from from friend of the show uh, from Nia Khan, talking about uh, packaging of stuff and packaging of vehicles as usual with near it comes to the point of view of, of armored vehicles but it's it's still always interesting to see about just how stuff squashes together and how you you fit people and all the necessary things to move the people and their stuff around yeah. uh, into into a vehicle and weight and all that kind of stuff don't be the guy in the responses whose who's only thing was <laughs> the, the ground clearance seems a bit low for that. Yeah, because Nia has no idea what he's doing, obviously. Yeah. Should we move on? Yeah, let's go to the uh, list of the week. And it's from Top Gear. Top Gear's top nine. Big engines in small cars. Alan. Yes. There is some absolute crackers in here. There are, yes. Um... Ah, uh, so difficult. Because it, it, it's Cause not, none of them are a supercharged four like, cylinder in a in a no, B segment hatch. It's not base. It's not a Grim, or their therefore versions thereof. That these are this is a variety of small cars with quite large engines. I have always liked the Sunbeam Tiger. I'm not sure it's really meant to be titled the Sunbeam Tiger Renault Clio V6 as it is here, 
But the Sunbeam Alpine with the Ford 4.3 litre V8 in, in, in the front of it. Yeah, it does look good. I've that. always liked them. I'm, I'm sure it's an absolute handful. I would probably kill myself. But I just think that they're lovely shape. Yeah. And, a ridic- and they are the thinking man's Cobra. If it's a choice of that or a Cobra, I'd have the Sunbeam. I agree. In my mind, lots of other great choices. By the way, I've been a little bit perverse and and gone highly left field, but I I really like Sunbeam Tiger. I've I've just always had a. It looks spot spectacular in that actual picture mm. they're using as well. Yes, yeah, but they do look good. I've seen many on yeah, you know, at shows and stuff. Lovely car, lovely car. It's a good choice. I like it. I like it. I agree with you. Thank you. Do you want to? And finally, us. Uh, and finally this week's a cracker it's from the drive uh by james gilboy i saw this and was like we're having that as the and finally that's exactly what we need because just in case you think ronald teddy bears are just a little bit too cutesy and just a little bit too common then what you really need what you really need are the intra koalas this was an alloy wheel it's essentially a two-spoke alloy wheel uh, with the fine rendering of a koala clinging to uh, some eucalyptus that was available from Mazda as an option uh, on the 121 in, in Australia for a very short period of time. They only come in one size, 13 inches, 4 by 100, 38 mil offset. Good news about that, of course, means that they're not going to appear on German cars, so they will never have all of the scene tax. But it would be perfect if you had something like, you know, a small Yaris or something like that, uh, small Hondas and Mazdas as well. They are worth lots of money. A set sold on eBay recently for about $1,700. So super rare because they're running around for about a year. Super unusual and just a bit weird. Love it. Please click through from the show notes and, uh, and read the article on, uh, on the drive, which gives you a bit more detail. Great stuff. Love it. Suitably weird. Uh, that's about it this week, I think. Anything I missed? Anyway, it's good to end on a high. <laughs> then don't forget, everyone, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter or Mastodon. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to talk more about Koala Alloys, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you personally? Best way to get in touch with me personally uh, is just the same. So use Twitter or Mastodon or I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back uh, very soon and hopefully Andrew's voice will be joining us next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've just about been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs> <laughs>